Hi folks, welcome back to another episode of Run Yogi Diaries. This is your host Santosh Shiva. Every week I bring you conversations with people who are on a journey, journey of well-being and fitness through endurance sports. I hope they spark some possibility in you, leave you with some tips and perhaps inspire you to perspire. This episode is also available on leading in the house today, the incredible Jean Dykes, who is contrarian to the core. First, at the age of 73, he is considered to be the fastest marathon runner in his age group with a personal marathon record of 2 hour 54 minutes 23 seconds. This is by far the fastest recorded time by a 70 plus year old individual. There is a back story to why this isn't the official world record and we'll get into that. He also has out of the box rules for training which is fascinating. We explore why he got started running late in his life, the secret of getting faster with age, his pursuit of the marathon and 50k world record for 70 plus age group and then what's next. Let's dig in. Hey Gene, welcome to Run Yogi Diaries. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to talking about running for an hour. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I'm so stoked and excited to uh, speak with you. Um lots been written about you, uh but uh uh want to learn a few more things about about you and how you do it and uh, but before that, um Let's uh, have you maybe do a quick personal introduction and then we'll jump in. Okay. Well, yeah. My name's Gene Dykes. I've uh, been around uh, the world for 73 years now and uh, I li- currently live in Balakinwood, Pennsylvania with previous stops in Canton, Ohio and uh, Lehigh University, Cornell University, a little stint in the army. Hmm. Uh and i've been uh, living here near philadelphia since uh, 1993 i'm happily married getting on uh, i don't know since 1982 you do the math i can never remember uh two uh, beautiful young daughters who live in minneapolis and minnesota they both uh, both run as well uh one daughter has done about 26 marathons and wow the other one's uh, done one and is going to do a 50k with me this summer so uh yeah uh, it's 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 nothing more fun on my calendar than when i see races with my kids coming up that's so awesome that's so awesome so nice to see uh your daughters uh, also running and you're running with uh, uh with one of your daughters this year that's so nice it's it's so beautiful to see a father and daughter do a 50k together that's very touching No, I forgot to mention my wife. My wife works real hard and I'm retired, so uh she works, I play. It's it's a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. You live you live in a, a women empowered environment and um and, and you're doing a great job and they're they're doing a great job as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I do the cooking and take care of the house and uh and so on. So it's not like I just uh, like I just run. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. So, you know, um Jean, um as I was jokingly telling you the other day when we met that your name is so appropriate uh to what you do because looks like you have good genes, <laughs> you know, uh, to be running and doing what you do at 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 um, at 73, it's amazing, right? It's really amazing. So, well, uh, they uh, they took their time kicking in because You know, I'm always telling people in college I was not a good runner, you know. My coach hated me. <laughs> He thought I was such an underachiever, you know. I worked hard, but I just I don't I just couldn't match that my teammates, much less my opponents. Uh it was uh I was pretty embarrassed by how I uh, performed in college. So uh but uh that's what maybe maybe made me a good runner now because I took a lot of time off from hard running because I knew I wasn't any good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um gene expression is a thing, right? And and I I'm not a geneticist or anything like that, but you know, these are things you read about and they talk about 
hey you know uh, some sometimes your gene expresses later than <laughs> later than never so well that that uh, but all this in in jest in good jest i know you work very hard and uh, you're a very disciplined runner and you know it just doesn't happen just like that uh, you didn't just wake up one day and so yeah we'll get into all of that so um, but before that i know um, one of the pivotal moments or years of your life was 2018 and a lot has happened in that year uh including your um, you know uh, pr and sub 3 marathons three of them uh which is quite amazing and but want to get a little bit about get into a bit of a flashback here right uh, before we get into the uh, the main act so tell us about how it all started you know why did you start running so late first off what got you doing that you know after college uh I, I it wasn't like I stopped running. I just stopped running uh, in any way competitively. I would just go out and run for fun. Sometimes I was in shape, sometimes not. But I always considered myself, uh, well, at least a jogger, if not a runner. And uh, and well, you know, I have I had life list items I really wanted to to do, and one of them was to do a marathon. So it was just a matter of. When I was in sh- relatively in shape, just trying a little harder and getting in a few extra miles, and uh, and I did manage to finish it. Uh, I actually a decade before I didn't finish one. Uh, I had this foolish notion that you don't want to drink water during a marathon. <laughs> hmm. That didn't end well. Uh, and my nutrition was bad in the the Philadelphia marathon in '97, and I, I bonked something terrible. And, but not only that, I went into it slightly injured, and I came out of it so injured that I couldn't run for six years. And uh, wow, yeah, literally six years. Every year I would try, and my my uh, hamstring would hurt, and I'd have to stop. Hmm. And it wasn't until six years, uh, and then uh, as it happens, it's just one of those happenstance things. Uh, somebody invited me to play a golf. Uh, round. He says, oh, by the way, we have a running group on weekends. So I used to run a lot. Uh, maybe I'll try and get in shape for that. And uh, so I fell in with them and they talked about racing all the time. You know, basically, you know, I fell in with a bad crowd. Let's 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 face it. And uh, after uh, a year or so of, of just running on weekends with them and doing a little training on my own during the week, I I entered a couple races and uh, wow, it was, you know, it was really fun. I didn't even know there were races out there. You know, uh, you know there are five Ks everywhere, ten Ks. Uh, well, I knew there were marathons here and there, but I didn't know anything about the the running community. But it was it was so much fun that uh, you know I started entering more races and you know, just a just kind of a gradual thing, kind of kind of got got hooked slowly. Nice. So, uh, so ninety-seven. That was that the first marathon, the Philadelphia one that you talked about. Was that your first one? Yeah. Well, I actually, you know, I'm a I'm a computer programmer, so that was my zeroth marathon. Zeroth. Uh, <laughs> okay. My first marathon was the New York City Marathon. That I mean, that was the first marathon I ran as a runner, not as a jogger. And okay. uh, so I always count that as my first marathon. And what year was that? What year was that? That would have been two thousand six. Okay, so that's the gap you're talking about, 97, and then almost a nine-year gap before you did your first one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, six years where I couldn't run at all, and then a couple of years building up, doing shorter races, and uh, and then the New York City Marathon. Wow. So a lot of gold there, right? Because um, one is you didn't give up. You know, you didn't give up, and um, you started – you know, some things went wrong. You hadn't done the right things. And and then you came back uh, through participating in shorter races. You kept running. For those, the folks who are listening to this, right, uh, a lot of us just give up on ourselves. It's very easy. It's, you know, hey, I, I failed in a, the first marathon I attempted. Didn't feel good. Forget about running, right? Um, but look at you. You know, uh, you came back and then you're thriving. So, a lot of gold, a lot of gold in that. Yeah, it's important. I tell beginners that uh, the worst pain is out-of-shape pain. And mm. I think a lot of them 
go out on their first run and say, well, if it's this terrible now, just think how hard it'll be when I run faster. And of course, it's the exact opposite. The faster you get, uh, the easier it is. Uh, hmm. All my marathons, as my times were dropping, got easier and easier. Uh, it's it, it's a great thing. Yeah. And and you also, you know, and this is there's a lot of controversy around these words, usage of these words, right? Uh, jog and run. And, and, and I know you meant it in, in, in the right spirit, which is, uh, more of something that you're doing easy, non-competitive. It's maybe jogging, but the moment you put on the gears and you're trying to, you know, outrun yourself and others, then you know it gets in realm of probably running. W- would that be a fair statement for people who are listening to this? Yeah, I think everybody might have a different different take on it. But yeah, I, th- I think jogging is when you're just doing it casually, no goals. You know, just do it when it's fun. And running is if you uh, if you have goals, uh, there's mm. a purpose to it. So uh, yeah. definitely before then, I was just a jogger, and and now I'm a runner. Yeah, yeah, and anyone can be a runner. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Sure. Uh, it's just it's just like you said. Uh, I like the way you described it. Having a goal makes a fundamental change in mindset, um, and and that's really what you're calling out as a difference between jogging and running. So no, those are, those are I agree with that. I think that's a great distinction uh, in, in what you're saying. So coming back to your journey itself, so you did the first marathon. Two, we are in 2007, right? Um, 2006. Six, mm-hmm. And and how did that go? How was how did that first one go? That okay. Uh, you know, I was kind of. Uh, I wasn't planning on it. I was planning doing the Disney marathon a few months later as my first marathon. But I remember I said I entered a couple races. Well, the first road race I entered was a half marathon. And uh, and I ran fast enough that I didn't have to go through the lottery to get into New York City. So all my friends said, well, you've got to run the New York City marathon with me. So, oh, okay. And, oh, I don't know, about five weeks before the marathon, um, I got uh, iliotibial syndrome and, uh, you know, I'd go out and run for four miles and feel fine. And then all of a sudden there would be this sharp pain. Uh, it's a pretty common injury. I didn't know what it was at the time, but fortunately somebody said, oh, that sounds like ITB and here's how you fix it. And uh, so I managed to fix it maybe a week and a half before the New York Marathon. So I went in not in the best of shape, but uh, this time you know, because my friends knew a little bit about nutrition and hydration and pacing, uh, I was able to d- sort of do it right. And uh, and I ran, I think, 343-something, which just qualified me for Boston by about a minute. Mm-hmm. Back then, you know, if you met the qualifying time you were in. And uh, so... Uh, from going to just going to run one marathon, I did New York, Disney, and Boston all in the space of five months. So I was kind of thrown into it uh, all of a sudden. Oh, and uh, the aftermath. Just like uh, the next bunch of marathons, too, I could barely walk afterwards in the next day. I mean, I kid you not, it would take me five minutes to get out of my chair and walk to the restroom and back, you know, it was just, it was just really awful. And, you know, don't even talk to me about going downstairs. Uh, but that's another thing. As you get better, you know, mm-hmm. those things go away. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen those video, <laughs> videos of post-marathon walks yeah. and, you know, it's, <laughs> it's usually, yeah. it really goes around the running circles. Yeah. Yeah. But like everything, the better you get, the easier it goes mm-hmm. in recovery there's another one of those things that comes faster and faster uh, the more you do it. Uh, mm-hmm. People are often amazed at how fast I can recover, but uh, I know it's your body responds to training, and if you mm. if you train and well enough, uh, your body learns to recover faster. So yeah. So uh, going back to the ITB, right? And um, you you know you. You seem to have done something, you, you, but you went and went ahead and did the first uh, New York Marathon. What about that? What about the ITB? Did it did it go away? Did you do something to take care of it? Uh, I it did go away. I went to New York, not sure that it was cured, but 
ITB is kind of strange. It presents itself in various ways. But in my case, it, it started hurting when I was at a certain pace. Mm. And if I slowed down or speeded up, it didn't hurt. So I was prepared to run the New York Marathon by alternating between a fast and a slow pace mm -hmm. and staying away from the pace that hurt it. So I had a kind of a backup plan. But uh, once I got past five or six miles, I, I knew it was gone and I didn't worry about it after that. Awesome. And uh, it hasn't bothered you since? You, you've been well, okay I guess I had it again uh, uh, a year later. Uh, and it was a little more severe that time. It took me out for a couple months. Hmm. Uh, but in general, I've been fairly injury-free, I think, compared to most of my peers. Achilles tendonitis has been the worst, and and I don't. And usually, I could trace it to kind of a an injury and not an you know a, a trauma injury as opposed to an overuse injury. So. Uh, yeah. And I think maybe you'll probably want to talk to me about some of my contrarian ideas. And yeah, I think I really attribute my lack of injuries to the fact that I don't stretch. You know, when I stretched, I got injured. I stopped stretching. I didn't get injured. It's possible that that's not cause and effect, but. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I think uh, we do. We do need to talk about that at, at length. Uh, but what I uh, want to call out is that you know, people might look at you and say, hey, you know, look at him, 73, he's breaking records, he just got good genes, you know, I think that is a myth, right? And what we are talking about is, you are someone who is like any one of us has dealt with injuries. But I think it's the mindset that I'm, what I hear is a, a mindset of not giving up and uh, being committed to your goal and, and, and really working with those constraints, uh, and then making it happen. And that's what I'm hearing. It's not like you've been gifted with some supernatural genes that, uh, you know, that's making you do what you do. So I just thought I should I should call that out. So that's amazing. Well, yes and no. Um, I think that uh, you know, I, I've been with people who, you know, like that first running group I talked about, and there were guys there, you know, they ran – you know, as much as I did, but I kept getting better and, and they didn't. And I knew they were running as much as I was. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, uh, the level that you can attain is, is genetic, but right. there's a range there that training can really, really uh, elevate. And, but that's being, you know, uh, world-class shouldn't be the goal of everybody. You should always set your goals based on you know, what your limits are and finding out what they are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's always been my motivation is how much better can I get? Not mm. how many more people can I beat or what yeah. records? Really, I I never was out to hold records. I just wanted to, to run faster and mm. use records as, uh, as, as goals. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. That's, again, another, another goal there. And coming back uh, again to... Boston. So you finished New York and then you kind of qualified for Boston, uh, which must have been an amazing feeling. How was it for you? Well, of course, I'd heard about it for a long time and I didn't have much time to get used to the idea. And uh, this was the uh, 2007 Boston. Those of you who are steeped in Boston lore know that was the Nor'easter year where they were predicting just a really terrible snowstorm with 30, 40 mile an hour winds and sleet and freezing rain and snow and, and you name it. Uh, and it turned out that the storm kind of passed directly over the area. And, you know, the center of the storm is much quieter than the, the fringes. And so it was, it was only 20, 20, 30 mile an hour winds, headwinds the whole way. And, uh, but not much in the way of snow and, uh, and rain. So, uh, so I learned about uh, how weather can affect a race mm. real, real quickly there. Actually, I have pretty good. I, I often say that race directors ought to hire me to run their races because good weather follows me wherever I go, <laughs> except for Boston. <laughs> I think Boston weather has just been terrible every time I've been there. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this fall 
Maybe when it's being held in the fall instead of the spring, I'll finally catch a break. Yeah, and and how was it? How was it to how how did you feel uh, finishing the first man, uh, first Boston? People have very emotional stories about it. How did you feel about it? Oh, uh, well, I guess I have to disappoint you. I, I just do races. I have fun, and you know somehow, oh, well, that was fun. Um, you know, I, I I set my third PR in three marathons, and you know that's kind of was my goal going in. It was sort of the same thing in 2014, the year after the bombing. And everybody says, oh, you must have done that because of the bomb. No, I don't know. I always planned on running Boston this year. And, uh, yeah. uh, but uh, I'll never forget, you know, the first year at Boston was the uh, going through the scream tunnel there in Wellesley. It was something about the acoustics that day. You could hear it a half mile away. And mm-hmm. it was like, I'm going to have to run through that. And uh, it was a pretty amazing thing. Uh, that's something that will last long times, that memory. Yeah. And fast forward. Uh, so how many marathons did you eventually do uh, since 2006 and until now? Okay. Um, I have a list of them. Uh, I have between marathons and longer than marathons, uh, ultras, I've done 135. Wow. Number 135 was uh, three days ago. And uh, number 136 will be two weeks from now. And right now, marathons just barely outnumber ultra marathons. But by the end of the year, I think they're going to be even because I'm doing more ultras than, than marathons this yeah. year. So it'll be about 70 each. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So do you, do you get surprised with, with this? I mean, did you, what did you feel about, you know, uh, the sudden response, the way your body was responding to your training? You seem to be getting faster. Um, are you philosophical or are you religious? You know, did you say, "Hey, maybe I was God ordained me to be fast" or something like that? How did you feel about it? Well, you know, there's there's absolutely one reason for that. I coached myself for seven years and slowly improved, and then I hired a coach. And okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could say I'm spiritual. I believe in my coach. <laughs> <laughs> he. What he did for me in just five months was just mm. unbelievable. I went through so many new levels of fitness. I mean, going into that, I thought, hey, I'm an old guy. Uh, you know, I have to you know, rest after hard workouts until my muscles aren't sore anymore. It'll be dangerous to run on sore muscles. And, uh, oh, no, he, uh, you know, he'd give me six workouts a week, several of them really hard. And uh, I'd go out for a hard workout with sore muscles and, Turns out, boy, if you want to get really good, uh, you can't wait for your muscles to be uh, be all ready to go. You've got to hit them while they're <laughs> hit them while they're down. <laughs> so uh, yeah, my coach is amazing. He, he always knows way better than I do what I can do. I would never assign myself such hard workouts, and if I did, I'd, I'd never come close to completing them. But uh, he knows the right workouts and the accountability is there. I, I, you know, I'd rather die than have to tell my coach, Hey, I couldn't do that workout or at least <laughs> yeah, I couldn't yeah. give it my best shot. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Uh, a lot of uh, folks, uh, I have uh, a lot of folks have that have a concern about hiring a coach and uh, I've not hired a coach in running, but I recently hi, uh, joined a uh, group to learn swimming or optimize my swimming. And I have a coach there and, you know, mm-hmm. last weekend, I didn't want to get up and go swim. I mean, my swimming is not good. So I was struggling to get certain uh, techniques right. And I got up in the morning and I didn't want to go. And boom, a text comes from my, you know, my coach saying, hey, we have this training today at 7.45. And you're right. You know, I just didn't want to go explain to her that I, I, I'm feeling this way. I just went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I agree, you know, uh, and and. To what you said, you 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 do things, you push yourself a lot of times because your coach trusts you, and then you also don't want to go. <laughs> you want to be accountable. Yeah, the moral of the story is: if you want to get good at anything, you know, hire a coach. Uh, 
my uh, my brother-in-law was a serious rock climber mm. who, of course, never had a coach. And when he heard me talking like that, he says, geez, maybe I should get a coach. And uh, yeah. he said it really helped him to to really do some things that uh, he hadn't been able to do before. Yeah. Uh, if you're afraid of, uh, you know, public speaking, get a coach. Yeah. And so on. Yeah. 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 It's no. a wonderful thing. Absolutely. It make, it makes sense because I think a coach is able to see your see your blind spots, right? I mean, uh, it's a third person looking at you objectively. It's it's minus. It's devoid of your own baggage about yourself, and mm-hmm. it's is looking at you from a commitment and a possibility point of view versus uh, your own biases about yourself, right? And so, uh, uh, absolutely, absolutely, that makes a lot of sense. So, fast forward. You know, you got a coach, life started turning around, and uh, I, and I also get that uh, you believe in your coach. We land in 2018, right? And uh, which is, a, uh, I think, a watershed year for you, uh, I was reading, uh, where you broke three, you know, uh, 2006, you started at, what, 345, 357, I'm assuming, in that range. Mm-hmm. And uh, here you are. Nine years later um, or more, you're breaking three. Um, so tell us about that. How was it for you? Uh, yeah, it you know, kind of sneaked up on me. I remember uh, I, when I got down, the best I could do on my own training was to run 316 on a, on a wickedly fast uh, course. Steamtown in uh, Scranton, and and when I only ran three twenty nine at Toronto, when I was hoping to break three sixteen, that's when I knew, you know, I had to make a change. And so I hired the coach, and he, he, in just five months, uh, I went to Boston, ran three o three o nine, and and then three o seven the next year at London. And then uh, 304 at Twin Cities a year or two later. And it was it was then when I ran the 304 at Twin Cities, I, I started looking at websites and, you know, I, I knew about Ed Whitlock's 253 and, you know, I knew that that was never going to be 254. Uh, I said, you know, like everybody else, I said, that's a record that, you know, might get broken 300 years from now. And, but I found a website that had, best marathons by year, like, you know, the best marathon by a 70-year-old or a 71-year-old or a 72-year-old. And fortunately, Ed Whitlock uh, had had a couple bad years in there. And so the world record for an age 70 marathoner was three hours and 23 seconds, I think. Mm. And I said, I'm only four minutes from that. Um, you know, why don't I... Why don't I try that? That'll motivate my training. Mm-hmm. And and it did. So for the next two years, I had in mind, uh, you know, beating that, uh, beating that record. And, oh, you know, I chose the uh, Rotterdam Marathon as, as the one to try. It was kind of coincidence that it was just uh, a few days after my birthday and I just turned 70. Uh, because I knew I was still getting better. So, you know, I didn't really have to do it. I wasn't on my declining. And and it happened. I ran 257, I think. And I guess it wasn't even until a little bit after that when I looked at 257 and said, wait a minute, you know, now I'm only four minutes away from the age group record, the 254.48 by Ed Whitlock. I could train for that. And... Uh, so uh, that in 2018, instead of just doing a whole lot of random races, uh, you know, fun races or whatever it is I felt like rain, running, I ran every USATF race that I could and, uh, and a lot of road racing. And this, you know, the list of things that uh, I believe in that most people don't is that 
you've heard said so many times, you can only run two or three good marathons a year, right? You, you can't race all the time. Uh, I raced 40 races in 2018. Every weekend I raced. And every weekend I raced hard. And every weekend I got better. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just totally wrong advice to tell people not, not to race as much mm -hmm. as they can. Racing mm -hmm. is how you really, you know, mm -hmm. things you can do in races you can't do when you're uh, just, just mm -hmm. training. It's, you know, there's just something that comes out. If you're a competitive person, I don't know, maybe that doesn't work for some people, but boy, it works for me. A gun goes off you know, and I'm a whole new person mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, stays with me until the, till the finish. So, uh, yeah, so after Rotterdam, I wasn't going to try again until later in the year, but the Toronto Marathon people were real nice, gave me an invite to come and try and beat it there because that's where Ed Whitlock set his record. And, well, my coach knows me better than I do, and except in that case, we were in perfect agreement. I'm almost in shape to do that. And... Uh, and that's how it turned out. I came up 23, 23 seconds short. Uh, and the next day, I discovered something that would have done it for me if I had discovered it the day earlier. And uh, I don't mind plugging it. They don't uh, pay me or anything. But uh, it's a Martin 360. It's a mm -hmm. powder. You throw in some water and shake it up. I was able to get in, you know, a Two months later at the Jacksonville Marathon, instead of 200 calories during the race, I was able to ingest 900 calories mm. with absolutely no, no GI distress whatsoever. Uh, I would have been able to finish strong at Toronto if I had discovered that. So I was one of the big helps was new shoes going to Rotterdam and, you know, the Nike shoes, you know. Yeah, they're mm -hmm. good for a couple minutes. No doubt about it. But Martin is that even more important. I think that mm -hmm. helps me run three three minutes faster or so mm. in, in a marathon. But uh, so my backup for Toronto was I decided to try the Jacksonville Marathon. You know, I wrote the race director and said I'd like to set a world record there. Is you know, is that is you see any reason why I couldn't set a record there? He says, no, come on down. You know, so mm -hmm. that was all the further I looked into it. But I already had a lot of things I had to do. And uh, again, uh, about recovery time is two weeks before the Jacksonville Marathon. You know, I ran a 50K on Saturday and a hard marathon on Sunday and a 5K the following weekend. And then beat the world record by 25 seconds uh, the next weekend. And uh, boy, I remember crossing the finish line and I felt so good. I said, you know what this means? This means, this means I get to run whatever race I feel like next year. I don't know. I can stop trying to beat that record and, and, yeah. and, and, and leak the other thing. The last thing I expected was the response to that race that I got. It was, you know, I thought, oh, I'll post it on Facebook. A couple of people say, hey, good job. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just, you know, here it is almost three years later. And people like you are still giving me a call about it. It's just, it boggles my mind. It really does. And because, you know, I'm out there having fun. And uh, heck, I haven't, uh, haven't broken any, much in the way of records in a couple of years now. I, that'll change in two weeks. But uh, uh Awesome. It's certainly given me an opportunity to talk about, you know, the important part of running, which is is, which is having so much fun. It's a little known fact that I do have a world record for having the most fun running. <laughs> I, I think it's a, a twenty thousand way tie with about you know every other runner around, but uh, uh, still, that's important. That's what you yeah. strive for. Yeah, that's beautiful, and and yeah, I mean. Um, uh, it, it, I, I could I could sense the emotion when you finished the Jackson Marathon. You know, Jacksonville Marathon uh, must have been an amazing feeling. And uh, <clears throat> so, when when you heard about the fact that you know they were not able to recognize that as a world record, you know, was it very disappointing for you? How did you reconcile with that? Uh, well, yeah, I said 
you know, the race director had said I could set a world record there, but it turned out, you know, he didn't sanction his race, which, you know, the, the course was certified and record eligible. Nobody, mm. nobody doubts that or that I ran it, but, but that's just the rules and rules are rules. And, uh, I, I should have looked into it better. You know, it's all my fault, but I really only had beating that record as motivation. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that it isn't the record doesn't uh, bother me a bit. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe I was a little surprised to discover that that's how I felt, but, uh, yeah, but it really is. Uh, I mean, I don't want to be a flash in the pan. I'm good enough to set the record once. I ought to be able to do it again. And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm not worried. If, I, if I'm good enough, I'll I'll get the record officially. Of course, yep. it's been tough, you know, uh, in, in this COVID era. There aren't many races to try. Um, but I've got a year and a half to go. So, uh, yeah. And then, so, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So. Yep, terrific. Yep, yep, makes sense. Um, and again, congratulations on that. And uh, uh, are you gonna give it a shot again uh, anytime soon, this year or next year, or what's what's running in your mind? Well, London is the uh, probably the only real, you know real viable candidate because mm-hmm. um, you know I'm kind of getting back into shape now. Then I do a whole bunch of stupid ultras again. Uh, I mean, stupid. That's what people tell me. Oh, you're stupid to do those ultras. Why don't you concentrate on marathons? Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm doing the Bigfoot 200 marathon in the middle of August. Mm-hmm. And then I'll devote all my time to training for London, which is early October. So that's a month and a half. Now, you might think, how can you possibly set a world record with a month and a half training? But you have to realize that most training cycles for a marathon include building up your endurance. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you know, I'll have run 100 and 200 mile races. You know, endurance is, 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 is zero problem for me. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all about turning some of that fitness into speed. Mm-hmm. And uh, a month and a half ought to be plenty. So yeah. 50-50 that I'll be in shape to do it at London. Yeah. And that's another thing I noticed about uh, you, which is uh, you, you seem to be very comfortable with these two very different worlds of running. There's the very hyper-competitive uh, road racing, which you're definitely uh, thriving on. But you seem to also be thriving on the trail racing scene, which is a little bit more uh, you know, about uh, experience and appreciating nature and uh, higher consciousness. And you know, it's a very different subculture and you seem to be straddling both subcultures very well. Uh, how do you do that? Yeah, I guess I just decided that uh, road racing was for competition and trail racing was 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 for fun. Uh, I said when the starting goes off, you know, I'm a new person. You know, uh, you know that mild mannered guy <laughs> all of a sudden just hates to be beaten when he when he's uh, in the middle of a race. But in a trail race, heck. Two days ago, I, you know, three days ago, I ran a 50K. I was probably, you know, maybe fifth from last. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's because, you know, I had more important races coming up. I didn't care how I how I finished. Mm-hmm. It was just out there enjoying it. It was a, it was a mud fest. It had rained for 24 straight hours uh, before the race. Yeah, and, uh, you know, who wants to get injured? And, but really, the thing is, I didn't feel motivated to beat anybody you know mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely not and you know i'll stop and take pictures i'll stop and talk with the aid station things you just can't do in a road race and all that makes it a whole almost like a different sport you know they're both yeah. running but they're they're just just really uh different attitudes different methods yeah, yeah. makes a lot of sense i think uh, again some gold there because uh, for some people, you know, we tend to kind of uh, bracket these into two separate worlds and not necessarily wanting to leverage each other. I think what you're doing is is the, probably a very smart thing to do for all of us as runners. Uh, use the road racing to express your, you know, competitive side of yourself, and uh, which brings out certain aspects of uh, oneself 
um, because I, I do feel that having goals and having having wanting to beat your your own personal goal sometimes brings the best in you in terms of uh, you know training or a response to training or getting stronger. And then there is the the enjoyment part of it that you can uh, you can derive from trail running. Um, and 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 also, as you said, endurance gets built while having fun. Mm-hmm. So it's just just a smart thing to do, according to me, rather than try and avoid one and just do the other. So great, uh, great, great thinking there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing harder than road training for. Uh, I think the hardest part of running is training for a marathon PR, for instance. I mean, it uh, the training uh, it. That's mentally what may set some runners apart from others because the training is so hard. Uh, I mean, it goes on for months and you're working so hard and, you know, the marathon is easier. (laughs) You're you're really happy when uh, marathon day comes because you're trying to run within your capabilities. Uh Well, exactly to the limit of your capabilities, whereas in training, you're you're stretching them. And and that's really tough. Yeah, no, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in a, a recent podcast uh, of mine, uh, my guest had talked about the uh, central governor theory, uh, you know, which I think uh, Tim Noakes uh, talks about. And I just did some research on it, all about brain training. And I found I found it very fascinating because I found, what I learned um, subsequently after I learned, I heard about it was that your brain tends to want to protect you anytime it perceives threat or, or or threat to your survival. Uh, it could be going up a hill, for example. And it tends to, you know, your sympathetic nervous system tends to kick in, your heart rate goes up, your, your muscles are not getting enough, uh, enough blood flow. So you feel tired, you feel slow down. And, you know, to your point, uh, the training, being tough on yourself during training basically helps with training your brain to say, hey, take it easy. <laughs> you know, I'm not in danger. I'm only just trying to go a little faster kind of thing, right? Which I just found that whole uh, theory very fascinating. And it made a lot of sense to me as a runner mm-hmm. because uh, there are there are counter theories out there saying, hey, you know, when you're running, take it easy. You don't have to run, run hard, stuff like that. And I find that, I'd have tried that. I've tried that. I've tried to run, go slower. But I find that the... The brain training doesn't happen when you go uh, run slower in your training. Uh, you you may build base, but you you're not training your brain to embrace the uncomfort discomfort during the race. You know, uh, so uh, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, it was reminding me uh, of then how conflicted your brain might get during a a two hundred mile race. Uh, hmm. Oh, I. I distinctly remember the first night at the Bigfoot 200. I was sleep deprived, obviously long since you know hit the wall, uh, and was subsisting on you know fat and and nutrition. Tired, cold, and so of course your your mind is screaming at you, stop, stop this. Your you know you know your survival is at stake. Mm-hmm. But your more conscious part of the brain says. Well, yes, but I can't quit now. I'm in the middle of the wilderness, you know. And so it's amazing how one part of the brain is screaming at you to stop. And the other part of your brain is saying, if you stop, you die. So uh, it's uh, your brain can get into some pretty funny states uh, yeah. in running. You know, it's funny. People ask me, what's the runner's high like? And I know I've never felt it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I have, but I just uh, it's uh you know, it doesn't appear to me like most descriptions of it. Uh, although, uh, I think I could uh, be a multimillionaire if I could learn how to stimulate adrenaline release, you know, as a sort of a legal drug. <laughs> I was I was doing a 200-mile race, and, oh, I, you know, I got a phone call. And I had to dig the phone out of my back tap, backpack, and, you know, yeah, I was tired you know, I was barely ambling along. The race director says, "You missed. You missed. You missed the last aid station." I said, "No, I didn't." I said, "The I'm with the with the sweeper here." And he says, "He says it wasn't there." He says, "Nope, it's there. You, 
you have to go back. And, you know, and I've already had, you know, I'm, I'm up against the cutoffs. And I have to backtrack for an hour to get to this phantom aid station. All of a sudden, I was off like it was the start of the race. You know, <laughs> I mean, a minute ago, I couldn't I couldn't walk. Next minute, I'm running as if it was the start of the race. And that adrenaline rush lasted, you know, about two hours. It was, uh, it's me. If I could call on that, you know, in the last hour of a marathon, oh, I, you know, the records I'd set would be, <laughs> would be amazing. I don't know. Somehow I've got to just train my mind to fear for its life or, so, or something. Yeah. Well said. It, it comes back to the same thing, right? Brain training and being able to hack, hack your brain to do what you want it to do. So, yeah, makes sense. And um, now, you know, good time to talk about your own, uh, what you've developed as a kind of a personal philosophy um, to running and training, you know. And um, I read about the fact that you say, hey, just run and, you know, don't worry about anything else. And it's kind of a little contrarian to what the, you know, the mainstream training industry is telling everybody to, uh, to uh, about running. So tell us a little bit about that. What's behind it? Give us a little bit of a backstory there. Well, I guess my first hint was when I found that uh, stretching didn't help me any. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe another time I discovered that taking electrolytes is, is a total waste of money. And hydration, I just found that all hydration advice was wrong. So I finally kind of got the idea that you know, there's a lot of conventional wisdom out there that just just isn't right. But I want to preface this with saying that it's also the case that everybody is different. And what mm-hmm. works for me might not work for you and, and vice versa. So my advice isn't don't do this or do that or don't mm-hmm. do that. It's find out what works for you and don't do it just because people tell you to. And I think that's what a lot of people do. Oh, people told me I should take electrolytes. I do. People told me I should stretch, so I do. But, you know, try not doing them. See if it it doesn't affect, you know, if there's no effect whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, find out what works for you. What works for me is no stretching, no flexibility, no cross-training, no special diet, uh, no electrolytes, uh, no this, no that. It's, you know, yeah, just run. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that's an interesting interesting point you make. Have you uh, have you tried to collaborate with with the scientific community or uh, to say hey you know this is what's working for me and is is there a way to validate what's what's going on here because like especially about mobility and strength training and cross training uh, I mean there's evidence that it helps right uh, because it helps in recovery it helps in uh, as you get older your muscle mass is not is, is deteriorating these are these are scientific uh you know these theories out there which are backed by some studies and you know that's what's kind of driving some of the practices in the industry um you know i was wondering w- would you think about doing something like that just to because you you seem to be something something's working here well i did do one you know kind of fitness test where they tried to find out what my lactate threshold was and all that. And uh, unfortunately, it required me to be on a treadmill for the first time in my life. And, uh, oh, <laughs> that's way worse than anything I could subject myself to. Uh, you know, you get on a treadmill and, and you do a, a lactate threshold run. It's, it's the opposite of race where you mm-hmm. reach the end of the race and it's success. You know, it's over. But in, a, in something like that, you have to stay on it until you fail. And what an awful way to end a workout is, is by failure. And as soon as you you give up, you know, one second later, you're regretting it, saying, oh, I, I could have kept on going. You know, it's just, hope I never have to do that again. Anyway, so, uh, uh, yeah, if anybody else, if anybody wanted me to participate in a, some sort of study, it, it would be fascinating. Um, yeah. But uh, because, yeah, who knows? I mean, if right, the, the research is pretty much all over the map. They can't agree on electrolytes. I can sh- show you a lot of studies where people say, oh, it works. But 
I think most of those are funded by electrolyte companies. Uh, I, I, I'm not a, a lone wolf in the wilderness on a lot of these issues. A lot of people you know, agree with me or they'll say, oh, I'm glad to hear there's somebody else that feels that way. So, yeah, find out what works for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that would be great to see some studies around this. Yeah, Have you heard of Wim Hof? Uh, have you heard of this guy called Wim Hof? Wim Hof? Not sure. Okay, so he's a uh, he's a he's a Dutch guy, and uh, he he's he's a kind of he's he's the guy he's a guy who has figured to survive in extremely cold temperatures. You know, like he oh, would yeah, go yeah. Med, right. He yeah, would go yeah, meditate. Yeah, so he'd go meditate in sub-zero temperatures without just just you know without no shirt anything. Uh, he would go jump into freezing water and survive that, and he's learned how to keep his core body temperature through breathing. And he now teaches that to other people, you know, like um, now conventional wisdom, <laughs> if you think about it, you wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't go jump into cold freezing water. Uh, I don't think you'll survive. Most people won't survive, but this guy for some reason is able to do it. And he's, he's kind of teaching that as a method now to people. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's only when you have these new, uh, pioneers in in something anything uh, you you can actually take that and say hey can I do that is there something that mm-hmm. I'm doing that we should be doing differently yeah so yeah that's fascinating um, so you also you know uh, I also found it interesting that you also pu- publish your race uh, schedule on your website uh, ahead of schedule for the whole year so your entire schedule is on it uh, for folks who are interested to go check it out which I find very fascinating. Uh, it almost puts you accountable to everybody, right? It's like, you know, now now I've put it out there, now I've got to do it because it's in public domain. Mm-hmm. So uh, what 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 triggered that thought for you? How did it come about? Well, uh, well, for starters, this website was put together by my daughter as a birthday present or something one day. And... and uh, and she tasked me with doing this. So I could say I'm doing this because my daughter told me to. <laughs> but but it, it's it's fun to kind of map out the year and have it in one place where, uh, as you say, besides just writing down the date and the race, I, I'll start out the year with uh, a whole bunch of races where I say what my expectations are and what I've, or maybe what I've happened in the past at that race. And now that we're... Uh, in May, the page for 2021 now has results for the ones I've done and mm. and and uh, looking forward to the ones I haven't. I, I just finished two races in the last three days. I haven't updated those yet. I'll probably quick do that right after I hang up with you and uh, so that that'll be, be okay. Um, but yeah, maybe there is something a little more to it than my daughter told me to. Uh, I like I like seeing what my expectations for the year are. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one is that, right? One is to have the expectation for oneself and keep it in a private lock and key, you know, or, and say, "Hey, this is what I'm going to do." The other is to put it out there and. Um, for everybody to see, and I and I think there's merit there, uh, not you know, uh, because uh, somebody wise at once told me, look, if you have a commitment and if it's in your mind, it's not a commitment. It's just it's just hope. When you put it out there, when you put it amongst your friends, it could needn't be public. It, of course, you're in your case, you've put it in public, but it could be your close friends. If you go say tell them, hey, I'm going to do this this year, somewhere you have that effect of a reverse accountability, your friends are going to call into, hey, you said you'll do it. What happened? And it kind of gets you back on track, even if you uh, struggle with motivation or things like that, which most people struggle with. Motivation mm-hmm. is the biggest <laughs> biggest thing that people deal with, right? So so I think there's some there, some goal there as well in terms of a best practice uh, that you are, uh, what that you're doing that is worth emulating. Uh, I just thought of one more contrarian thing I think I just mentioned, mentioned because I found a new aspect for it at the Cocodona 250 race uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's about hydration. Um, basically, I think runners drink too much. 
Whereas everybody, the conventional wisdom is drink, 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 you know, 80 glasses a day. I'm lucky if I drink one glass a day. I am constantly a little bit on the dehydrated side. And this becomes especially important in a marathon. I mean, what's the advice newbies get? Oh, make sure you've got a lot, you know, you drink a lot before the race. Look, I mean, there's an aid station every two miles. Nobody ever died of thirst during a marathon. And you can tell the people who listen to that advice because the gun goes off and half the field goes out into the weeds because, you know, you know, it just, they got all this water in them and it's just, it's just silly. Um, and I train to run a bit on the dehydrated side. So it doesn't bother me at all to be a little short on water. Now at the race three weeks ago, we had a 22 mile segment through the Sonora Desert in the middle of the day with a huge elevation climb, 90 some degrees, and people were dropping like flies. You know, they were told to bring a lot of water, and most people did. A lot of people had even way more water than I did, but you know, it, it was just no problem for me. I rationed it out, and uh, you know, I did fine. But other people have trained their bodies to need a lot of water, and if that's the way you want. If you want your body to need a lot of water, then drink a lot of water. If you want to train your body not to need that much water, then train a little bit on the dehydrated side. And you'll never, I've never heard anybody else say that that's a good idea, but no, works for me. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And, and, and is that something like, um, like, for example, I live in Houston, Texas, humid, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't need to do much to sweat, uh, lose <laughs> fluids. So would you kind of um, uh, do, would you kind of calibrate that depending on which part of the world you are running or is it like, how, how would you do that? Well, I always carry water on runs. Um, doesn't mean I always drink it. I just, you know, drink when I'm a little bit thirsty. And I think a lot of people drink, you know, when they're not thirsty because they've been mm -hmm. told to. And, uh, right. Okay. Uh, but yeah, your body can do, do just fine with a modest amount of water. Yeah, makes sense. I think I've I've heard about this, and I can't remember. There was a uh, an expert or a or a scientist or someone who's an expert in this domain who actually made this comment that you know drinking water when you're thirsty is is a fine is a fine practice. You know, you don't have to preempt thirst and keep drinking ahead of it ahead of time. So there's a lot of these confusing methodologies uh, and, and and theories out there and uh, seems like just drinking when you have the thirst uh you know a feeling of thirst is, is working for you that that's what i'm hearing correct mm -hmm. yeah just uh yeah just just enough is, is, just enough. is yeah. what you should you should do strive yeah. for yeah makes sense terrific so hey uh gene that was uh that was amazing uh I, I, we do. We are rooting for you. We hope uh, you crack the world record either in London this year or uh, which whichever is earlier, uh, whichever is earliest for from your fitness point of view. But hopefully, well, this. If, uh, if good wishes uh, are helpful, I should say that uh, I expect to end this uh, record drought uh, in two weeks. I'm going for the 50K world record. All right. And this time, since it's the national championship race, the course is certified, the race is sanctioned, and there will be, be no, no doubt uh, uh, if I set the record that it will be ratified. So, uh, so in two weeks in uh, Long Island, I'll be going after the 50K road record. And uh, I'll appreciate anybody's good wishes on that. Absolutely. Rooting for you for that. Absolutely. All right. Um, coming to the last part of our conversation here, uh, Gene, uh, which is I have a, uh, a bunch of fun questions and uh, which I ask my guests. Um, you ready for that? I guess so. Trick questions. Uh oh, <laughs> no, they're not trick. They're just fun questions about... Uh, uh, about your running journey and your likes and dislikes kind of stuff. So no trick questions. I, I do not intend to put any guest of mine into trouble. <laughs> so no mm -hmm. trick questions. <laughs> I get myself in trouble all by myself. So. <laughs> don't need any help from you. 
All right. Okay, so the first question for you is, what's the most difficult part of being unusual? The most difficult part of being unusual, I guess uh, it's difficult when you don't recognize that that uh, it's possible for everybody else to be wrong and you're right, and that uh, you know, and that everybody is everybody is different. So unusual is just a matter of perspective. I mean, it's guaranteed that anybody usual person is unusual somehow. And uh, you should notice if you're, you know, if you're unhappy with something unusual, you have to develop, try and recognize that you need a little more self-confidence. Hmm. And uh, maybe uh, you should see yourself as a leader hmm. and instead of trying to be a follower. So I guess that's yeah. what I did. Well said. Well said. Great, great answer. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great answer. All right. Are you a teetotaler, by the way? I have a question. I am not, but I don't drink beer. Okay. So my question about that was, what's your favorite spirit? Oh, well, my wife has me pretty well convinced that Cabernet Sauvignon is the, is the drink of choice. Uh, but I enjoy good uh, mixed bourbon drinks and, uh, uh, and like that. I also don't like coffee. It kind of makes me a social, social pariah some places. You know, I don't drink beer. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> Some places that's the only beverages. Maybe that's how yeah. I got dehydrated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Cabernet Sauvignon is your favorite. And any favorite bourbons? No. 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 Okay. Okay. What's your favorite junk food? My favorite junk food. Boy, I can eat junk food with the best of them. So there's probably quite a few <laughs> quite a few contenders. Um Oh, I know. I love uh, Doritos. Is wheat are wheat thins junk food? Boy, I love those. I have to, I have to stop eating them because, you know, that's the one food that can really make me gain weight. Gain weight for some reason. Love ice cream. Yeah, Reese's peanut butter cups. Those are great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Ice cream yeah. sandwiches. Oh, you just uh, the list goes on and on. <laughs> Pick a favorite. No, I, no, no, they're all. I'm not going to tell you my favorite daughter. I'm not going to tell you my favorite junk food. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We'll, we'll grant you that. Okay. Uh, you said you love you love cooking. Uh, you know, or what's a favorite dish that you love to cook? Oh, yeah, I've got uh, you know several good ones. I guess my favorite is. Uh, Scallops with brown butter and capers. Yeah, nice. Seared uh, dry scallops. Are, boy, you have, try to have them every two or three weeks, and it's always a treat every time. It's one of those things that just never gets old. Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. That sounds good. But I've got a brisket in the uh, in the sous vide. It's been going for 48 hours now. Uh, I have high hopes for it. We'll see how that goes. All right. Nice. Nice. Um, the last one which is a favorite question I have for all people, uh, all my guests that are on the show is, if a movie were made of you, you know, what genre would it be? And who would you like to play you? Oh, let's see. What genre? I guess, uh, I don't know. I guess science fiction is my best escapist. You know, that's generally what I read. You know, there are some really bad sci-fi movies out there, so I try and only see the good ones. But I always enjoy them uh, as you know easily in, in, enjoy uh, but I'll enjoy a good movie in, in any genre as for who plays me oh, I don't know chief some of you just the other day was saying you look just like you know X and uh, uh, oh oh I've, I've got an out I'm 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 73. I don't remember actors' names anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so there might be uh, might be somebody out there, but uh, I can't remember his name. Okay. We'll just then say you play you <laughs> or something like that. No, no, we don't want that. <laughs> okay. All but right. Maybe it's just like you got to hire a coach if you want to get better. 
if you want to be portrayed better, you got to hire an actor. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, so science fiction it is uh, because yes, then that that makes perfect sense. The the man the man who is getting better with age, you know, this the science fiction about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that might be just the title of the movie as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wish well, we could. You know, uh, it's, science fiction gives me a whole bunch of new worlds to do trail runs in. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Must be your wife. Say hello to her. Yeah. 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 She's gone. That's fine. She's gone. Okay. All right. Uh, Gene, that was a wonderful conversation. Thank you for sharing yourself and your journey with us. There's a, a whole lot of uh, so much gold uh, in, 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 in your thought process. Uh, hopefully, the viewers took, are taking back uh, something that they can try. For sure, the mindset, uh, for sure. You know, no matter what method you use, no matter what uh, you know, principles you adopt, but none of that works without the right mindset. So uh, your mindset about pushing limits and continuing to grow um, is, is very inspiring. So uh, thanks for sharing that. And uh, I'm always, uh, as you can see, I love to talk about running. I love to respond to questions. So if somebody has a pressing question, just uh, go to ultragazer.com and you'll find a, a place to leave it. Yep. And I'll share the link on the show notes. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, they can do that as well. So um, we're kind of coming to the end of this uh, conversation, Gene. Um, I'd like to give you uh, the the last word. Is there anything, any message you want to give as a wrap-up comment to the viewers? Well, I never get tired of saying it, but everybody training can make you raise your level, but... Mm. You want to try and find that limit, but it's not important to set records or beat people. It's important to, you know, to be better than that person in the mirror. And that's the person you were yesterday or the month before. And there's just running gives you so many ways to try and push the envelope. You can run faster. You can run further. You can run more often. And, uh, and the most interesting way is to do something more interesting with running. Travel, run a race in some place you've always wanted to visit. And yeah. uh, But every year, don't just sign up for a race uh, on a whim. Look a year ahead and, and get a destination race or mm. you know, set a few things. Just something that says, okay, when I do this, I'll be a better runner than I was you know, the last time. And... Uh, and and it's amazing. And that's how it worked for me, really. I mean, I got here by just trying to do a little little more each year. A 50K used to be a lifetime achievement. Now they're not even worth mentioning. I mean, it's it's just amazing how the impossible can become possible and, yeah. and the possible become routine just by slowly stretching yourself. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautifully said. All right. Um, I'm going to... Uh, let you go and have the rest uh, a wonderful rest of the day and you know all our wishes are with you to go out and continue to break those records and uh, um, so wish you all the best and we'll keep uh, eye on eye on the uh, news uh, to see what's going on thank you so much thank you it was a lot of fun great interview thank you 